Well, welcome everybody to Lunch Hour. This is our first episode of the year. If you don't know what Lunch Hour is, Lunch Hour is for kids, youth, and young adult leaders to be resourced and to be connected. Um, it's a podcast and also kind of a live call and blog. Uh, and today we have an amazing guest uh, with us, PJ Moon, um, is going to be on the call. And I'll let him introduce himself um, in just a moment. But one thing I got to say about PJ, everybody that knows PJ knows he's a high capacity leader um, and he is a lookalike of Adam Levine. Um, there's legendary stories about PJ. Um, and so if you're on the podcast, you're going to have to go to um, our website at lunch hour and check out him because he is a doppelganger. So anyways, PJ, welcome to lunch hour. Thank you for being here, bro. And could you let yeah. us know a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I do have some pretty crazy Adam Levine stories. I'll, <laughs> I'll save those for another time, but uh, <laughs> But yeah, my, my name's PJ. I'm, I'm originally from Texas and um, moved up to uh, Seattle, Washington uh, when I was um, uh, graduated high school. I did a, a, like an uh, internship program, uh, kind of an uh, ELN program up in Washington at a church called Living Water and uh, really had this encounter with Jesus. Felt like I uh, really felt called into uh, a life of ministry. Uh, and felt called to really help engineer people's souls. I really felt called that God was calling me into this um, new season of using the skills of being an engineer, which I was uh, love to do. I love engineering. I love all that. But God was calling me to, to, to really do that with people's souls. So I didn't know uh, what kind of assignment God would have for me, but uh, he uh, was gracious enough to um, assign me to living water when I was done. So I served there as a youth pastor. I did junior high, high school. Uh, I did both for a while, for about 10 years or so, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, met my wife up there, Ashley. Um, she is uh, she was amazing. I met her at college group. I was the new visitor guy, so I was supposed <laughs> to connect all the new visitors, and I connected her to me, so that was perfect. <laughs> um, so uh, we met there, and then um, about two years ago, we, uh, we both felt called to move to Austin, Texas, and uh, had a great a gig at Living Water, amazing pastors, John and Fon Kobler, and but just felt like Lord was shifting our hearts. And so we moved here kind of sight unseen, no job, and just trusting that the Lord was moving us this direction. We knew that we knew that we knew we were supposed to come. And um, so we, we trusted the Lord in that, kind of in that process um, of faith, stepping out. My wife was healed of a heart condition. Uh, we had our first wow. kid, our, our only kid, Phoenix. Uh, which was a miracle baby. We didn't know if we'd be able to have kids. And, uh, and then we uh, felt the urge. Uh, we, we got plugged in with a district. Uh, we, we met the district supervisor who offered me a role to serve in NextGen uh, here in the Mid-South region. And then uh, we felt called to plant a church all in that same season. So it's been a busy two years for us. Wow, yeah. Uh, but we are, uh, that's a little bit of my, our story, where we've come from, where we're at, and, uh, and where we're headed. So yeah, and if you're listening to the podcast, you're missing out because you can see beautiful baby Phoenix right now on the call. Um, so it's just great to see him. And you said seven months today, right? So yeah, seven months today. Yeah, that's the the dad life, the best life. So well, awesome. Well, thank you, PJ, for being on here. And um, can you explain one more thing too for me? So Mid South, what does that encompass? What does that mean to be Mid South Next Gen? How many states and what does yes, that look like? So we oversee six states. Uh, so it's New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, we have two million, almost 2 million square miles 
Wow. Uh, pretty much any youth group I want to go visit or any church, uh, the closest one is about 20 minutes. The next closest is about an hour and a half. And the one after that, I'd have to take a plane. So, wow. Uh, any, uh, our district's pretty spread out. Uh, our leaders are all over the place. But yeah, that's what the Mid-South means. So I oversee those six states kind of down in the southern region of the U.S. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So with that said, I know that you um, have a lot of practical experience with NextGen the last 10 years being in Northwest, now being in Texas. Um, so what's an encouragement that you would give to a NextGen leader right now today and something that God has put on your heart? Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I had a few things that were on my heart. I don't know if you wanted me to go through, uh, go into all of that. Um, yeah right now but yeah go go into whatever you feel is, is the best thing yeah i just want to share to a next gen leader so yeah, yeah you know um i i first want to say that i'm not an expert at all things um i haven't didn't arrive i i wish i could tell you stories that i had you know i'm, I'm talking to you right now because my youth group blew up to three thousand and we planted <laughs> you know youth ministries that just didn't happen but i, I do want to share some things that i've learned um, some things that have saved me, um, some things that have helped in my longevity in ministry, That's um, yeah. things that have really shaped me. And I think as you guys, I mean, many of you are listening to this, um, you know, you're starting 2020, uh, you're beginning a new year. And I felt like if I was going to share anything with uh, other leaders, I'd want to share, like, how could you maybe some, some things that would be helpful to you to kind of kick off the new year. Um, but I want to read uh, in, in Mark chapter one, there's a story that I love. And if, you, if you've read Mark chapter one, you know that Jesus is, uh, he, it's kind of a, a, he's going throughout different towns. He's healing uh, people. He heals, he calls his first disciples. He's healing, you know, people with unclean spirit. And then he just heals all these people. And so it's kind of like this mass, like gathering of, of um, uh, it's a mass gathering of people. Um, there's a lot of like ministry going on. It kind of sounds like maybe some of our youth groups. And then something happens in verse 35. He says, he, write, he rose very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those that were with him started searching for Jesus. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Hmm. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And, and he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And I this, this always struck me, um, and I, I heard this put this way from our president-elect, Randy Remington, and he always said, you know, Jesus shows us in this passage what it looks like to live, uh, live a life with priorities leading you as opposed to urgency. Um, what we knew is there was work to be done, and everybody was looking for Jesus, and yet Jesus was so clear about what his priorities were and where he was headed. That's good. Uh, beyond just what was in front of him, that he, it was easy for him in the moment of crisis to make a decision uh, to choose priority over urgency. And I share that with you because uh, to be really honest with you, I don't know how many times, I, I, I can't tell you how many times in ministry I couldn't see beyond the service that I was about to plan. I, yeah. could, I didn't have much clarity beyond or priority beyond like the message I was going to preach or the kids you know, program that we were going to put on. I just saw that and then nothing after that. And so Jesus had this priority of his life, a rhythm to his life that guided him to um, make decisions when urgent things came up that didn't necessarily need to be taken care of right then. And I share that with you because I think for me, my lack, and I'm going to tell on myself a lot on this <laughs> podcast a little bit, but my lack of clarity 
in knowing what my priorities were in ministry, whether that's whether you're a kids pastor or youth pastor, for me, youth ministry, my, my lack of clarity and what my priorities were, what I was doing created a culture of reaction, meaning I just had this culture where I would just react when stuff happened. Uh, it stifled my creativity and my collaboration with other people because I was insecure. I didn't want to collaborate with others. I didn't want people to know I didn't have it all together. And, and honestly, it kind of started to suck away my vision. Mm-hmm. I, heard, I met with a lot of youth pastors that were friends of mine, and we would always say sometimes it's in ministry, you can feel like things, uh, uh, and I apologize, I got my little boy in here, he's going crazy, so I'm kind oh, of no worries. Uh, but I would always say sometimes it feels like in ministry, it's like uh, you get to a conference or a camp and you finally feel clarity about what you're doing, and then you get back into the weeds and you feel like it's foggy. And that's a dangerous place to be. And that wasn't how uh, the journey Christ has called us to. He's called us to have a great priority and a rhythm of our life um, that we would understand where are we going? What are we measuring? What is success? And how am I getting there? So all that to say, there's, I wanted to leave you with like three things that I just, I labeled them as like three things I wish I would have done earlier. And, mm-hmm. and you can interrupt me if you want, Ashton, if there's something uh, you want more clarity on. But No, I would just say, even with you having your son Phoenix right now, you're living it out. Your family's priority, right? <laughs> and um, when I was just seeing that a second ago, I was like, PJ is living out his priorities. His family is his priority. And so often being a pastor's kid myself, being left to the side or not being involved with my parents or, um, you know, there's different things. And, and PKs, if, if you're on the call or listening to this, you know exactly what I mean. But um, living out your priorities, that spending time with, with Jesus in prayer and not being the celebrity leader all the time, right? Like that's like spending time with him and making that the priority. Um, then other people might panic when you're making Jesus right. the priority and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I just, I love that you're, you're, you're thrown out there and I would love to hear the three things that you <laughs> wish yeah. you'd done sooner like Jesus. So. Yeah. So, so let me, uh, and thank you for that. I, I, you know, the, one of the things, so the first thing that I wish I would have done earlier um, is I wish I would have changed my scorecard. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we all measure ourselves, measure ourselves and score ourselves up against some kind of unconscious scorecard. So if you don't have a clear scorecard, you have a scorecard that makes you either wake up in the morning or makes you have anxiety waking up in the morning, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, there is a scorecard of your life that you measure yourself by. And we all have it. And in every season, whether you have a job, whether you're in ministry, whether you have parenting, you know, whatever season you find yourself in, we all have these like scorecards. Well, we're talking about the ministry scorecard. Um, I wish I would have changed what I was scoring myself by. And mm-hmm. I found myself, one, maybe not having a clear scorecard, or two, having a scorecard that was incomplete or doesn't, didn't really paint the God picture. And it created more angst and anxiety in my life than it did fruit. And so let me ask like a couple of questions to you that I hope you maybe, maybe define what your scorecard is. What is success in your ministry right now? What is that to you? Like what is success to you? So if like at the end of this thing, you were, you transitioned into a new job and you could look back and say, what would, what is success to you? And, and, and I don't mean like making up the church answer. Like right now, if you had a knee-jerk reaction, like if there was this selfish thing, what would it be? And I know for me, it was like, man, I, I stepped into youth ministry 
and I filled in, I filled in, uh, in some shoes. I filled in for some people that went before me that had some, they were really big shoes. And so my, my scorecard was I wanted to have a youth group like that had the life and vitality and mm -hmm. dare I say the numbers that they once had. I wanted to see events that were exploding and, and those things. And so I had these like measured things, you know, like these things that, that I would define as success that man, if I could get that, I'd be successful. And then the second question that I hope you maybe define what your scorecard is, what do you measure? Like, what are you measuring right now? Do you measure anything? I know for a lot of seasons of ministry, I didn't even measure anything. I was just kind of winging it and going for it. But what do you measure? What, what makes you take, what makes you wake up in the morning? What are you looking at and you're being reflective on in the ministry you lead? And often those things that we do measure or that we do define as success really don't paint a great God picture. They're usually things like numbers. And, and I, I'm not here to make a case that you shouldn't count numbers, but they're things like I, I want, you, you kind of have a vision to see things bigger and better. And that's not a bad aspiration, but I actually think that we, in having a one-sided or maybe a two-dimensional scorecard that's just uh, metric gains that mm -hmm. aren't spiritually driven, then what will end up happening is that you will live and die by these metrics. That you feel great when these metrics are great, you feel bad when these metrics are bad. As opposed to having some things that maybe go underneath the surface that you measure that no one else measures. Mm -hmm. So let me give you like a practical example. My pastor, which you'll probably relate to this, but my pastor uh, sent me an email that he got somebody reached out to him a part, to be part of a jail ministry, a, a, a juvenile jail ministry. And he sent it my way, forwarded it to me, and he said, hey, I think this is a great opportunity. You should do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't have enough time to do it. You ever have your pastor send you something <laughs> and they're like, Hey, I strongly advise you do this. This isn't like, I'm not asking permission. I'm telling you to do it. Yeah. Um, it was one of those. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I don't know if I'm going to have the ability to actually give what I need to this, but fine. <laughs> I work for you. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember showing, and, and, and here's the feeling that I had is I didn't want to do it because I didn't see how it was going to pay off and meet the measurements of the things I was measuring. How is jail ministry gonna help me be more successful in my youth ministry? And so truthfully, I was starting to die by the very metrics I was, I was uh, living by, or even worse, I was, uh, I was missing an opportunity of the Spirit of God to deposit something in me and potentially in my ministry that could be life-altering and life-changing. So I started serving at this jail ministry and it's really interesting because they, um, I remember going home one day from this kit. Uh, they only allowed me to bring them to youth group when they were good. So I only could bring them to youth group when they were behaved, <laughs> but they couldn't be part of my small groups. So let, let me give you uh, my success scorecard. My success scorecard is if I could lead a kid to the Lord, that kid would go come to my youth group on a regular basis, start attending a small group and finding community after they found community that they began serving the church and maybe after they served the church for a while, they would start living outward in their campuses or whatever. So that was like my measurement of success, except this jail ministry didn't meet that measurement because they couldn't come to my small group. They, they legally couldn't show up to my thing. They could only come to youth group once a week and all the rest of the time I had to go to them. So I couldn't, the things that I measured by, I actually couldn't include these kids into my measurement. So it's like, is it worth your investment? Mm -hmm. 
So I say all this to say, it's like this morbid thing. And I feel horrible saying it the way I'm saying it, because I want to say that I had this like tender heart when I first started this, but I didn't. But what broke me is I had this moment with this kid and I was driving him home and he was again, locked up. He would, uh, was 16 years old, was locked, been, will be locked up until he's 21 and um, was locked up since he was 14, had a two-year-old kid. Both his parents died in front of him. And his grandmother, who he lived with before he got put in jail, has only seen him once in two years. So uh, this kid's telling me the story, and he's in tears telling me about this. And he looks to me, and he says, how does the Jesus you keep talking to all these kids about help me? Hmm. And I think what I heard him say was, you have this, you, like, there's a Jesus you're preaching that includes all these other things that I can't participate in. And so how is this Jesus guy that you're talking about is God help my situation. And so it became like really real for me. And I realized that I was there, there was something of God's um, direction and life in this circumstance and the situation that, that transcended any of my scorecard, but I didn't see it as a win for me. I just measured over here because this is what my boss was looking at. This is what other people were looking at. Is PJ going to be successful in ministry as opposed mm -hmm. to God had given me an opportunity to bring the gospel to a student. This kid said yes to Jesus in a car ride with me and ends up asking me for like 12 Bibles and says, I want to lead a Bible study and just read the Bible together with a bunch of people at my jail. And I said, can I help you? He said, no. I was like, okay, cool. I'll just get you the Bibles. But this kid just like was radical. And I actually got to meet him. It was really cool. He got out of jail early and I got That's to awesome. meet him. He came to our church when he was 18. Just life was transformed. Now, I tell you the story because there's going to be so many of those kinds of stories that don't fit the scorecard and yet may do something in the life of you and in your church than you didn't realize. Let me tell you what it did in our church is that because I committed to this and I committed that they're just as much a part of my scorecard, um, they started stealing things from our youth group. Kids in our youth group started complaining that the jail kids were coming because their iPhones were being stolen or their iPads were being stolen or whatever, you know, whatever that may be. But it shifted something in the core of our youth group where we were so, uh, dare I say, uh, like middle class, mm -hmm. upper class kind of bougie thought process that we didn't have room for people who didn't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. And when all of a sudden those people started invading our space or their space, uh, again, me, me bringing them because I knew it would do something. It's changed something in the lifeblood of our youth group. And I'll tell you, it started to change the culture. And so I started measuring that over measuring how many people were coming. Hey, how many of our kids are now living where they're open, their lives are open to non-believers? I started measuring how many of our mm -hmm. leaders live, live that way. And so the last thing I want to say to this point, changing your scorecard, is I had a really hard time with campus ministry. Um, for a long time because I, I didn't think it would pay off because my scorecard was this is winning if people start coming to my youth group. Mm -hmm. So camp, I mean, you guys, I know Ashton, you talk about campus ministry all the time, but if that was our measurement, if that was our only measurement, like, Hey, this is winning campus ministry is winning when we have more kids coming to our youth group because of campuses, then I actually still think that's a bad scorecard measurement. Mm -hmm. I started shifting my campus ministry strategy to how many kids am I sending for my youth group to campuses? How many people, missionaries, am I deploying into their mission field where they live, learn, work, and play? And that measurement started driving how I led. 
Um, and good. I'll tell you, sometimes there were seasons where my numbers grew and, and I could feel better about some other scorecard or check marks on my scorecard that I had, but that was still a value to me that it was still just as much of a success that I, I could say, hey, there's 12 kids in my ministry right now and they're all living their faith out loud to Jesus. So I don't know what that, I just gave you some examples, but um, I, I challenge you to check your scorecard. What is on your scorecard? And is it, does it really tell the God story or is it just metric based so that you feel better about your job at the end of the day? A hard one to say, but a good one to, to deal. That's good. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say, PJ, that I love, I think you said a lot of profound things. Um, number one is just make room and making room for, um, for your scorecard, make room for others, make room for people that might not be on there. Um, and then also the second thing here is make your own scorecard. If you don't have a scorecard right now, you're living up to an expectation of somebody else or a social expectation or even a, the Christian church expectation, which you kind of put is having a lot of people come to your church. That's when you're successful is numbers. And, um, you know, what is it? The butts and budgets and, you know, just making sure that money and people are there and that's success. And so I think making room for, prison ministry, making room for campuses, making room um, for students that are on the street, maybe even serving that may never come. Um, I think that is a, a beautiful reminder of who Jesus was because he was constantly making room um, for others, especially marginalized people. Because um, I think that's when we look at our scorecard, often we, we're forgetting the marginalized. Um, and so I love your heart in that, that Jesus remembered the marginalized. So that's good. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I was going to share that I didn't, but is that, you know, Jesus was always showing his disciples that they were measuring the wrong things all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it doesn't even have to be outward things. I mean, changing your scorecard could simply mean, like, do you measure how many kids are discipling other kids? Um, is that something worthwhile to measure? And it may not actually affect your bottom line. And I hate to say that word that way, but it may not affect your numbers but it does affect the fruit of the spirit because you may, we know that the kingdom of God goes beyond us. So beyond our tenure, beyond our assignments. So I started measuring things like that. Like how many of my kids are in active discipleship relationships? How many of my yeah. leaders are actually actively discipling students um, and measuring that and celebrating that and knowing that that was going to have long-term implications than just me getting a bunch of kids showing up, giving away iPads, giving away free pizza and having a big show. Um, I knew that what was going to last when I was gone was, was something that may not give me kudos in today, um, but it'll give someone else kudos tomorrow. And so that's a worthwhile scorecard and, and that saves you from so much heartache. So the second thing um, yeah. is I wish I would have put more stock in my leaders. <laughs> and I know this sounds funny, but just like going back to Jesus, he had this priority of urgency thing, but like Jesus put all of his stock in his leaders like not some, all, like he left earth and left it with 12 <laughs> dudes. And so I would say, why don't you feel comfortable leaving, leaving the message of Jesus with your leaders or the vision he's given you with leaders? We often don't. Um, we kind of treat our ministry like I'm the, I'm the preacher here. I'm the one who knows all this stuff. I'm the smart one. I'm the creative one. I'm the whatever. And so we, we create, we don't put a lot of stock in our leaders. And, um, 
I just want to share with you, it was like this revelation I had. It's, I always believed in leaders and we always had leaders, but I didn't always maximize their potential. I often, I would just use them as a means to an end. Like I need the ratios. I need people here. I need a greeter. I need somebody. And realizing that your leaders could actually unlock areas of ministry that you've yet to unlock. And truthfully, even if you're the best speaker on the planet, you can still only disciple maybe, maybe a few junior hires if you're lucky. I mean, I would love to talk to the person who's been able to disciple more than more than five junior hires at a time or much <laughs> less talk to five junior hires more at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need leaders. We yeah. need people. I mean, in your kids' ministry, like putting your stock, they're not just filling your ratio gap. They're not just a helper. Like what if we started mobilizing our leaders to actually putting stock in them like their my success is dependent on their success and and then creating a safe space space for them to fail um yeah so i had this moment where um and i'll, I'll kind of tell myself hold on just one second i gotta no worries get him in yep no that's so good sorry guys <laughs> yeah no no worries dude no worries. Life, life of a dad you gotta gotta go in and out um so I had this moment um, and there's two things, critical things that really changed the game for my ministry. And I will say, I, I can almost guarantee you this would change everything for you, whether you're kids, youth, young adults, leader, is when it comes to your leaders, the people in your care, the people in your circle, the people that run things for you, the people that you're uh, in, you know, uh, deploying to, to be in this, you know, discipling other students or kids with you, is... I challenge you to find creative ways to care for them. Don't just use them. And I had this, I would never say that I was a user. Nobody wants to admit you're a user, (laughs) but I had this, uh, I was praying for my leaders one morning and the Lord convicted me and said, you don't even know that one leader. And I was like, Mm. I don't like, I know them. I know their name. I know they go to youth group or, you know, they serve with me. I know they go to our church, but like, I don't really know them. And this particular leader, I didn't like that much. It was, they were bugging me. They were like not really engaged and they were always just kind of like, they were kind of one of the, you, we've all had those leaders where they like, you, 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 you wish they would do something, but maybe they didn't. And they just kind of sat in the back. And mm-hmm. so I met with her and I said, Hey, like, how are you? And she said, not good. And she had this whole like thing going on in her life. And I had realized that it, what I was calling like, like serving in my ministry, I was actually killing this young girl. I, I, was, I wasn't caring for her. I wasn't caring for her soul. And so I didn't, not only did I put, didn't put any stock in her, I didn't actually care for her. And I hate to say it that way, but I, I started meeting with her. And the more I met with her, the more I heard her story and the more things came out and the more I realized she shouldn't actually be serving with me anymore. And that wasn't because she, she couldn't. It was just that she was in a season where she needed to be released. But she was serving me out of guilt. Mm-hmm. And um, and so one, I would say like, put more stock in your leaders, see the potential they have, but care for them. And you'd be surprised. There's some people that just need 10 minutes with you in a private coffee lunch that you haven't had in a long time or a coffee meeting that ends up being the thing that unlocks the thing they've been missing. Mm-hmm. And the third thing, putting more stock in your leaders is simplifying the language for them. So they know what success is. If you were to ask me, or if a leader would have asked me, um, what was success? Uh, like, what, what's winning for me? 
I'm going to walk around, guys. So it's fine. <laughs> no worries. Um, if, uh, if you would have asked me, if a leader would have said, hey, what does it mean for me to be successful? Like, what, what would you hope for me out of my ministry? If a leader were to ask you that right now, what would you say? Um, how would you answer that? How would you, like, would it just be like, yeah, just show up. And if you're really excited and you're happy and you like love on kids and give them a hug and a high five and you greet them at the door, like that's a win. Um, but do you have simple enough language to help them know if they're winning or not? And I realized that I didn't for a, lot, a long season. So I didn't put any stock in leaders. I didn't care for many of them, to be honest. And not like I didn't care for them. I just didn't give them the care they needed. And then I didn't have simple enough language for them to know if they're winning or not. Hmm. And um, out of this season of, of like major in working for me, like me realizing that I'm missing the boat, like I'm measuring all these external things and I'm missing the boat here. Um, the Lord led me to this um, phrase that, that we called 531. And I don't want to give this to you like, hey, this is a plug and play thing. This is my journey to finding the win for my ministry. But I, I saw a world in which my leaders were discipling other kids and that those kids were discipling other kids, but I needed language for them to know how do they go after that? How do they, um, like what physically can they start to identify? Am I winning or like, how do I get towards a win? So the five, three, one was that you would know five students that you would invest in three and you would reproduce yourself in one. So we would awesome. always say to leaders that, Hey, by the time you finish serving here, even if it's six months or a year, your challenge should be find the one person that God's led you to in this ministry that you're to re reproduce everything that you are in them. Like it's your boy, it's your girl, like whatever you want to call them. They're like, it's your, it's your number one. Yes. It may be your favorite person, but it's the one that like, <laughs> at the end of the day, if I were to leave, this person would embody the essence of who I am and who Jesus is because I invested everything into them. And so the knowing five, we all, we'd always say like, hey, like so when a leader first started, he'd say, hey, you don't know anybody. That's totally cool. So start like getting to know people. And here's the environments you can know people. And you can go to campus ministry, know five students. And we'd say like, get to know them, know their name, know their birthday, know where they come from, who they are, what their needs, what they're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And then we said, eventually you'll have a list and it may be more than five, but we always say start, like try, try to grow where you just know five students. And when you get to that place, when you're in environments where you can know students, not just the same five Christian kids that everybody else knows, but these are unique to you. Like these are my five. Then like who out of that five, what three are you saying, hey, in this season, I'm going to play a little bit of favorites like Jesus did. I'm going to invest more of my time in these three. These are the three I'm going to games. These are the three that I'm going to sports games. I'm going to um, plays, I'm going to extracurricular stuff, I'm going to their birthday party, I'm visiting them at lunches, like, who are the three that you're just saying these, are, and, and write them down, like, as you got, begin to identify them, and I tell leaders all the time, they change, sometimes you're investing in these three, and then next mm -hmm. thing you know, they graduate, and they change, and then over time, I would say that, I tell a leader, like, your goal is, like, a year from now, like, you're gonna, I'd be able to identify at least one person from that mix, that you would consider to be your one. Mm -hmm. And when I created that simple language, it really helped my leaders to know what a win is. And it, it's hard to do because we, we don't want to simple, like we have things too complicated. And so making it that simple uh, mm -hmm. just seems like too far-fetched. But I'll tell you, those, that was a game changer. When I put my stock in my leaders and I gave them the win, 
Um, I'll tell you, I, like I just had a leader. So I've been removed from that environment for about two and a half years now. Okay. And I just had a leader who uh, switched cities, started serving, uh, serving at a church. And she told me at a youth group, and she told me that their, le- their youth leader just started 531 because she shared this whole like, hey, we, <laughs> like, what's the win for us? And the guy couldn't tell, tell her what a win was. And she said, what if we just like had a simple language and then bam, this whole youth ministry is using 531. And so it's not to say 531 is the answer. It's just, we're all, we need that simple language to help our leaders know what's a win. And, mm-hmm. and you need, a, you need a, a language for yourself. Like to be really honest, can you tell yourself like, what is a win? Like mm-hmm. when you walk away from this job or this assignment or this role, like what a win is for you, like you need simple language to accomplish the win in your own life. And so even though I was leading that, I had my own 531. And um, in that season before I left, like my 531 was Wes, Ethan, Tyler, Alec, Chris, and, and Evan. And so those five, I would lead, and, uh, uh, or Carson. And then those five were my five. And then three were, I invested a lot of time into Alec. I invested a lot of time into Wes. And I invested a lot of time into, uh, into Tyler. And so those three, Tyler, Alec, and Wes were my three. And then Wes was my one. And guess what? Wes is now the junior high pastor at the church I just left. That's awesome. And, um, so it just shows you that sometimes the simple language, when you live it out, your leaders can catch it, you can catch it, and you can walk away knowing that you're doing something and you're accomplishing a win. So that's, that's the second thing. And I'll, I'll, the last one's pretty quick, but I just wanted to share this. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, please. I wish that I would have been less weekend consumed and or service consumed and more outward consumed and there's a lot of walls that i felt like i hit in ministry in my own life that i thought maybe a service or an encounter or a conference would fix and it didn't um most of the the problems that i faced is what i call a ministry flywheel it's like we do ministry in 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 a in a verb sense as opposed to being you know instead of like uh, being the gospel to the city, we just kind of do things, do do ministry, um, and so it becomes this flywheel where you create a series or you create a, a, a you know collection of talks and you deliver that series, and the next thing you know, you realize your kids are struggling through this, so you create another series of talks, and so then you live from series to series, from event to event, from camp to camp, and you just can't seem to break through. And I, when I look at Jesus, Jesus loved the church. So I think he would love your youth group or he would love your kids ministry. He would love the church you serve in, but he spent more time outside of those areas than he did in it. And so I would say, I wish I would have looked a little bit more like Jesus in my ministry. I wish that I would have spent more time outside the church than I did okay. inside the church. I, I would say that the latter, uh, maybe five years of my ministry at Living Water, um, I I did. I tried to spend as much time. Uh, I tried to go. I, I think at one point I was going to five campuses a week. Uh, I was trying to spend as much time as I could in coffee shops with students. I was taking, you know, going to dinners, going to um, uh, football games and basketball games. Um, I spent more time in a high school arena than I spent anywhere else. And so I, I share that with you because I, I had this conviction that the things that I, the walls that I was hitting, I wasn't going to fix with a new fancy sermon. Um, I wasn't going to fix with a new graphic on a wall. I wasn't going to fix with new t-shirts and a new slogan name for our youth group. Um, it was going to take me 
really focusing on what is the needs of my community and what's the heart of my community and how can I fulfill that in these kids in this generation? And that goes hand in hand with some of the other things I said, but um, some of you might say this, like I said, I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to go do anything else. I, I'm bivocational or I, I got this huge, you know, you don't understand how hard it is to put together curriculum and put it together and all that. I, I would just say, then why not empower more of your leaders mm -hmm. to do the things that, that you're currently doing so that you can free up your time to maybe do the things that might be more important to yeah. the success of your tenure there. So uh, that's a little bit of the three things. Change your scorecard, uh, put more stock in your leaders and be less weekend consumed, more outward consumed. And those have been some game changers for me as I led in youth ministry and, and beyond. It's still something that I, I still do even planting a church. Yeah, that's good. And it, I mean, it goes back to the Mark uh, 1, 35 through 39, where you're talking about are you led by your priorities or urgency? Um, basically your whole talk goes down to this of like, what is your priority? And are you living out your priorities? If your priority is to actually reach students, then why aren't you outside of the church? You know what I mean? Um, if your priority, you know, so just thinking through, I think, so I think my takeaway of, if, you know, there's so many in there, but it's just, a, wait a minute, is my life matching up with my priorities? Is my mission matching up with my priorities? And um, that's a good question for all of us to ask. And dude, the, the five, three, one, I'm stealing that one. That's brilliant. Um, and I was even thinking in my head, well, could you do the three, two, one? And I'm like, well, no, like, no, I think it's probably good to at least have five people that you know. And most small groups are around five people. So that's a perfect to say, hey, have your small group be those five people. And then, hey, you know, go to the game with those, for those three people and then reproduce yourself in one. That's brilliant. So thank you for um, sharing that resource with us. And that actually goes perfectly into the last thing I wanted to ask you about. Could you just quickly give us some of your best resources? Um, and I will actually have uh, PJ's notes up on our vlog and our podcast and then uh, these resource links as well that I'll post. So if you can just take a few minutes, uh, two or three more minutes and just give us a little bit on what these resources are um, that, and I'll, I'll have them up on our podcast and link to our blog as well. So. Yeah, some of these are um, some of these are not like ne next gen specific related, but I still feel like there's good resources that have really challenged me. So some of these are more recent. Others uh, of these are uh, a little less recent. But um, the first one for me that has been really good, kind of in the season I've been in now, but I wish I would have read even earlier, is the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, it's just a really good book about um, how hurried we are. I think it kind of goes back to what I said in Mark chapter one, like there is an urgency that we all feel in our lives, that everything's important, that mm -hmm. everything has to be done today, that, um, and honestly, we live kind of out of panic. And so we don't slow down enough many times to really consider or even ask these hard questions. Like, to be honest with you, my first five years of ministry, I didn't ask these questions of myself because I didn't have time. I legit was... I was working and, and putting out the next series and planning and, mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, all the stuff. And it just was like so crazy that I never stopped to realize I was, I was dying. Yeah. Um, and the people around me were dying and I was just leading a broken ship. So that, that's a really helpful one. Um, next Generation Leader. This is an old book by Andy Stanley, but I would highly recommend it if you've never read it. Um, it talks about things in that book, Next Generation Leader, about like, are you doing the right things? Um, what things are you doing that you don't need to be doing? So it's a really helpful book to me. I, I've actually used it in quite a bit of uh, 
situations in my life. I actually read it just recently again, not even just for next gen ministries, but just for, uh, it really is a, a kind of collective, a collection of thoughts based around, are you doing the right things? Do you have courage? Are you taking risk? Um, uh, and so it's a really good book. I'd recommend that. Um, Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Balzinger. So um, good. This might jack you up. So I would just have a big red flag warning before you read this book. Um, <laughs> but I really feel like uh, Wendy Nolasco, my supervisor, she always says that this book is kind of like a, uh, it really is a prophetic word to the church. Um, but I, I, you don't even have to read this book. You could just read the back cover and instantly realize that something in you and your next gen ministries may have to change. Yep. Uh, the premise of this book is really about, um, you, we're, we're kind of like it when they discovered America back in the day, it's like you end up in the Rocky Mountains with, can, with canoes, thinking that there's going to be a river to cross, but really you have a mountain to climb. And so often in our ministry and our strategies and how we, how we operate as the church looks a lot like that. We're trying to, to, to really address problems that are like mountains, but we are carrying canoes, hoping we can cross over them. So um, that would be a book that would really challenge you if you're kind of a, 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 I don't know, one of those bookworms that just like to really dive through some of those, but it'd be really challenging for you. So I just want, I say red flag because it might be one of those that just kind of jacks your thinking up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the other two are, are really practical for me, kind of in the season I'm in now, but um, there's a book called Eight to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think. Um, I don't necessarily... I, I say this book because it, it, this book didn't necessarily change a bunch for me, but it helped me to realize that um, maybe what I'm doing is a little more complicated than, mm. than it needs to be. Um, this book kind of shares with you that like at best that when we're operating at our best and we're living out the gospel and, or we're leading people to live out the gospel, that it's really about the eight to 15 unique relationships in your life that you're maximizing. And so it's a really phenomenal book. Um, it's very practical. Um, it, it's, it's a very honest book. Um, it's not a self-help how to build a big church book um, or how to big a big youth group book, but it just helps you realize that if you can help mobilize your leaders just to maximize, I mean, it's kind of the five, three, one principle, but like maximize just the few relationships that they've been strategic with. Um, you could change the world with that. Uh, and so that's kind of that book. And then the last one is, um, and you, I, I know you've been suggested this probably a hundred times by Ashton, but uh, if you're, especially if you're a youth leader, uh, you've got to read the Jesus club, not so that you can start one necessarily. Uh, but if you want to see modern day high school revival on display, um, what that looks like, I know when I read it, my faith was challenged. Like, I don't know if I had that much faith when I was a youth pastor to, to, to believe for the impossible. So, uh, it's just kind of a modern day revival story, uh, high school revival story in my mind. So uh, yeah. just a word read. So those are just a few resources. That'll help you through this conversation I had today, but even maybe just some extras on there that'll help motivate you into to this 2020 new year. Yeah, that's so good. And yeah, Brian, we're actually going to be having a leader camp coming up. Um, and so Brian will be at our leader camp doing a training, the author of uh, the Jesus Club. So um, that'll be a great resource. And uh, PJ, thank you so much for pouring into us, man. Thank you for um, telling on yourself and being honest. And there's... Nothing better to to be like, hey, I did this, and this is what I wish I could change, and hey, here are some of the best practices. So thanks for sharing that. Um, while you were talking at the end, I was reminded um, by a, a find that I had, because I really think today's episode is all about what are your priorities, um, and are you living out those priorities in your life, and you know, do you have simple language to live out those priorities, and um, how are you getting other people in your ministry to find the win in those priorities? 
And, uh, but I, I discovered that the word priorities, uh, plural, uh, meaning more than one, um, didn't come into our English language until about 100 years ago. And so the reality is for most of the modern world or known world, we were living by one priority. You could only have one thing. And obviously we know things have changed in our time. Multitasking is crazy. Everybody's doing side hustles and we're bivocational in ministry. And so I know we're living in a different world, but I want to bring us back to that and kind of end on that, that Jesus following Jesus is our priority. Um, having Jesus, the way of his life be in our lives is, is the way. And so going back to how you started us, I thought that was so profound of, no, Jesus always kept the father priority. Everybody else was in a hurry. Everybody else was freaking out. And Jesus was spending time with the father. Jesus was loving people, healing people, making time for marginalized um, people. And so I'm, I'm just inspired today um, to follow Jesus because of all the things that you said and um, to challenge my scorecard and challenge what I think is the wins of my life um, and make sure to measure that to my priority, which is Jesus. So thank you, PJ, for, um, for pouring into us. Um, I pray God blesses you for all your time and in your church plant. And do thank you for being on our episode and uh, looking forward to other people looking at this on the podcast and checking all these awesome resources. So thank you, brother. Of course, you got it, man.